Welcome everyone to WRPX, your wrestling revolution podcast. I'm your host, Antonio Garza. And it is a beautiful, beautiful Tuesday night, mostly clear, 67 degrees Fahrenheit and 11 miles per hour wind flowing through the skies. And we are here to talk about some professional wrestling. We had a big, big historic show, as they call it, on Sunday night uh, at the hands of Impact Wrestling. But before we get into Rebellion, let's go to Japan as we always do every week and every month. We go to Japan and we talk about Japanese wrestling. And in this case, we are talking about the All Japan Pro Wrestling Champion Carnival that is still going on. Um, we, we got to watch days six and seven. Day eight takes place uh, just in a couple of hours as I am recording. But the big change that happened this weekend in terms of all of Japan is that they unfortunately went back into lockdown on certain cities. I think it's like uh, Osaka, Tokyo, Ota, and there's another one that I can't remember. I think it's Hiroshima. But uh, the point is that a lot of shows are starting to be canceled or yeah, somewhat canceled. Some are being just turned back into no fans. And that is the case for All Japan. Uh, obviously, they're they're going through their champion carnival. They're halfway there. They can't just stop the carnival because of, of things. And so what they did is that they decided to just go no fans. Um, the, the show on the 24th had 150 fans because they still, I mean, I guess those tickets had already been sold and it was just like on the day. But then... The show on the 25th, that show had zero fans. It was just uh, staff and wrestlers. And let me tell you something. All Japan Pro Wrestling, I think it's actually far, far better when there's no fans and you have the actual wrestlers out there because they make no more noise. They're allowed to obviously clap and shout. And so, I don't know. It's just like, it's like good excitement. Uh, that feels it's similar to a, like an AEW show where you have like just people shouting and so it does tend to feel better uh, than just having 150 people clap but uh, and I mean 150 people but not all of them clap <laughs> so in this case I actually did like uh, the atmosphere in the the the, the 25th uh, show but let's go back to the 24th um, this is day six of the Champion Carnival, uh, April 24th. This Both shows took place at the Chinkiba First Ring in Tokyo, Japan. Um, they're both... The, the, the one on the, the 24th was a seven-match show, uh, three non-carnival and then the, the four carnival matches. Uh, and the show started with Akira Francesco and Koji Iwamoto defeating the team of Nextream, Atsuki Aoyagi and Rising Hayato. Good match. Uh, it's, it's just like a mix of, of really cool wrestlers, and so it was fun. It went under six minutes, so that was the unfortunate thing because uh, it was good. And with more time, it could have been great. 
And the next match, we had Evolution, the team of Dan Tamura and Hikaru Sato, defeating Purple Haze, the team of Isanagi and Suze. Uh, I got annoyed at this match. I don't know. Like, they already did it uh, in a previous match, but I don't know why they have teams with people from the Champion Carnival losing, even if it's not them getting pinned, pinned or submitted. Like, I don't know why Suze has to take a loss in a tag match against Hikaru Sato and Dan Tamura. I think, like, Suze should just, like, pin Dan Tamura because Suze is in the carnival. Like, make those guys important. That is something that I've noticed throughout this champion carnival. Not only in the tag matches, but also, like, in like in the Joshitatsu match that we saw last week, that we talked about last week, uh, where he had, like, a one-on-one quote-unquote shoot match and and so like in those cases it just seems like the champion carnival should be your main focus no one should be better than those guys and so like don't try to mix up singles matches don't if you have people from the carnival in tag matches don't have them lose like it's supposed to be a big deal to be in the champion carnival and if you have like Suze losing to Hikaru Sato and Dan Tamura then I don't know. And I know why Sato won because Sato is going to be challenging for the junior uh, title the next day. But still, like if, if you want Sato to win, then have Sato face off uh, Rising Hayato and Aoyagi and then have Suze defeat Akira Francesco and Tantamura or whatever combination. It is possible. It's not like you haven't been repeating the same wrestlers over and over and over and over and over again for the, the mid-card matches on the Champion Carnival. I mean, and even for that matter, why do we have so many non-carnival matches? Like, we're having seven or eight match cards in, in the champion carnival right now. There's not a lot of people. Like, granted, you probably don't want to sell tickets and have people come to small shows. But hey, maybe if you had uh, just champion carnival matches and one like non-carnival match, people would be more willing to just come because it'd be like, yeah, it's just like a quick show. Like, let's go. Uh, but now, like, the only thing that's happening is that, like, day in, day out, I start watching the show. By the time I'm done with the non-carnival matches, I'm already kind of like, uh, I want to take a break. I want to, like, go, you know, go for a walk or eat something, get a breather. And we haven't even started with the carnival matches. So, I don't know, like, maybe just i'm thinking about it like how new japan did it last year you know where it was mostly the g1 climax matches taking place at the g1 climax shows plus whatever like a junior or like not even junior like young lion match and that was fun that was cc like it was just like quick shows that you can watch especially because they're happening like so often and so i don't know like there there's the opportunity there and it's not like all Japan Pro Wrestling matches are like, I don't know, like super exciting sometimes, but I think that you could do the effort uh, to do so. But anyway, uh, onto the third match of the night, Total Eclipse, Hokuto Omori, Jake Lee, Tajiri, and Yusuke Kodama defeated Black Mensa Rei, Ryuki Honda, Takao Mori, and Yoshitatsu. Under six minutes, Omori got the win. Surprisingly, he didn't get the win by using a belt uh, because actually, did he? 
I don't remember much for this show. Um, I do remember saying that I don't know why uh, if you have Jake Lee there, it's not Jake Lee getting the win or for that matter, why he's not setting up the win. But no, they, um, I mean, they still have the same Total Eclipse combo to like to win. Because, yeah, I do think this match, Omori used the belt. I think it's the next show that Omori doesn't use the belt. But, I mean, that just pretty much says it all, you know. Like, you have Jake Lee there and Hokuto Omori still cheating to win. And then we go into the actual champion carnival. Um, like I said, four match shows. Uh, in this show, uh, Seuss and Jake Lee obviously took the night off. And so the first match with two points, well, actually, I, I don't know at this point if the points are correct. Because <laughs> um, I, I have only have the final standings. But uh, in the first match, Koji Doi versus Shinhiro Otani, they went into a double countout. They went under seven minutes. Uh, it was it was it was good for what it was. And what it was was just like a quick double countout. The idea is that they were heated. They started striking each other. They fell to the floor. They kept striking each other. And instead of paying attention, they got counted out. I I like the idea, I guess, of two people being like hot enough to get into a countout. But I don't know if like Otani and Koji Doi are like a good pairing for that story. Nor I think it's like good to do when they just fall off the ring and they get counted out on like next to the ring, next to the apron. Like that's to me more like they start brawling into the crowd and that's where you do the count out. But like this just felt like, I don't know, like it felt like they, they were doing it just for the sake of doing it and they found like two guys who are not going to win. So we may as well just do it with them. Um, so it was kind of annoying in that sense. I think that could have been like a way better idea for, I don't know, like maybe Ishikawa versus Suze or yeah, Ishikawa Suze, Ishikawa Suwama. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they can do that with like Miyahara and Lee. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think there's better combinations to do that than Otani and Doi. Like, it just feels like extremely random to be like that hot that you don't pay attention to jump into the ring while like the referee's literally like two or three feet away from you shouting that you're being counted out. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Next up, we had Shotaro Ashino defeating Shuji Ishikawa. Um, match was okay. I like Ishikawa was dominant for the most part, match, most part of the match, and then. Uh, Ashino just kind of like locked in the ankle lock and won. I don't mind because it's an ankle lock, it's a submission, but like again, I don't know, like seven minutes. I think they could have done a little bit more, it could have been slightly more back and forward. I do feel like Ashino's like carnival this year has been him getting his ass kicked, and the matches he wins are not like super dominant wins. And I don't know, like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, it, it it felt like last year he was more of a killer, and now he's just, like, getting his ass kicked. So, but anyway, he, he got a win, so I guess that's good. Uh, we had Kento Miyahara defeat Kohei Sato in what was probably one of the worst Miyahara matches I've seen. Um, it is no surprise that I have a bias against Sato. 
like he annoys and bores the fuck out of me and so like i guess i could say that it was the worst miyahara match but maybe the best sato match <laughs> i don't know uh i mean there's only just so much that you can do the 12 minutes but the the one thing that i i really disliked about this match is that they actually started with a spot that looked like so promising because Sato knocks out Miyahara like within the first minutes and it's to the point where the referee has to check on him Sato's waiting and then Sato like kind of like kicks him out of the ring and I was like oh this is perfect like Miyahara is now knocked out Sato's going for the counter pin because he he, he thinks that Miyahara is just like a, a dead body and then Miyahara can make the comeback he can make the he can like escape the the count out at last second and then come back and then has to survive Sato and that would have been a perfect story because there is a size difference there is a style difference but no the only thing that happened is that Sato kicks him off the ring and then he follows and gets uh Miyahara recovers and kicks his ass and now Miyahara's like stalling around the ring and he starts working the leg and they just go and do like a really mad match it wasn't until the last like maybe two or three minutes that the match kind of picked up, but it was mostly because Miyahara started going for his running knees and, and for the Germans. And he's usually like really quick paced. And so it just feels like a really action packed match, but it was really just like two or three minutes that was happening. Uh, beyond that, it was just like uh, boring pretty much. Like, I don't know. I was really disappointed because for the first minutes I was like, hey, Maybe they're going to do something really interesting with this Sato match. Maybe it's going to be better than what I usually have from Sato. But nope. They just did shit. And then on the main event, are uh, easily the match of the night. Uh, Suwama defeated Aoyagi. This was a really good match. It was really similar to Aoyagi versus Lee. In the sense that uh, Suwama was like just super dominant. And Aoyagi was like the never give up guy. And that kind of built up. And... and the only difference here is that Aoyagi never uh, never really locked in the guillotine to hurt Suwama. Or, and Suwama just ended up winning the match under 18 minutes. Um, so yeah, easily the match of the night. But even then, like it wasn't like that good of a match. It was like a three-star match. Um, it was just a weak, weak uh, champion carnival. A lot of the, the shows from the champion carnival have been pretty weak. But... At this point, uh, day six, I do feel that certain wrestlers only have like good matches left for them. I think Miyahara, for instance, only has uh, like Suwama and Aoyagi. I think he has Jake Lee. And so there's like, I think there's we're going to get slightly better matches in the upcoming days. Uh, so, I mean, that sounds promising, right? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was day six. On day seven, this was an eight-card match uh, taking place on the 25th. Uh, we started with the non-carnival matches. Isanagi defeated Black Mesa Re, Me. Total Eclipse, Hokuto Omori, Tajiri, and Yusuke Kodama defeated Akira Francesco, Dan Tamura, and Koji Wamoto. This is the one where Omori actually won with a move <laughs> and not a, a belt shot. This was under six minutes. Then we had the next, the team of next stream, uh, Atsuki Aoyagi, Rising Hayato, and Yuma Aoyagi, the brothers. 
defeating Ryuki Honda, Takao Mori, and Yoshitatsu under seven minutes. Match was okay. It's always the the, the matches that you have for Aoyagi in this case to to rest. The other one that took a, the night off was Doi, Koji Doi, and um, he didn't participate in the non-carnival matches. Then we went into the rest of the card. I'm not going to say the carnival matches because we are going to have a non-carnival match <laughs> in between all of them, but we'll get to that one. Uh, first up, we had Chotaro Ashino defeat Shinjiro Otani, 11-minute uh, match. Really good match, actually. I really, really liked it. I I think I gave it like about a, a four star actually because I really really enjoyed it. Like Otani is still my MVP. He's just the guy that I'm way like most excited to watch uh, each show. And I don't know like Ashino didn't look like a total noob here. He looked pretty decent, and it was just a lot of back and forward action. Um, like it. The idea kind of seemed like Ashino was going for the like the more, I was I guess friendly, like a sportsmanship type of, of match, and Chikido Tani is like, oh man, he just likes to piss off people, and he went strong against Ashino, and Ashino had to come back and all right, old man, bring it. Uh, so yeah, it was like a really good match. Uh, I at uh, the end Ashino submitted Otani, so good for them, good for them. Next up, we have Kohei Sato versus Chuji Shikawa. And unfortunately for me, Kohei Sato won in what was also a kind of boring match. Non-surprise. Uh, Ishikawa had most of the offense until Kohei Sato just kind of made us a weak comeback and he won with La Magistral. I guess I'll cut him some slack because La Magistral can definitely end any match at any point. But underwhelming. I mean, for two guys the size of Sato and Ishikawa to just have like a man match, it was really underwhelming. I I could have just gone with straight up more chops and shoulder tackles, like more like a big last match, uh, a hoss fight. But no, it was just kind of like there. Like Ishikawa was working the legs with submission stuff. Like, eh, not really what I was looking for. Next up, we had a AJPW World Junior uh, Heavyweight Title Match. Uh, the champion Sima defeated Hikaru Sato, the challenger, in a really, really good match. This was like a complete uh, change of pace from the stuff we saw with Sato and Shikawa. This was fast-paced, a lot of submission work, a lot of kicks, a lot of striking. Seamus all over the place, and, you know, he does meteoras and running knees and, and backstabbers. And Sato was just like relentlessly going after Seamus' arm. Sima went after Sato's legs, uh, I guess, just try to, to remove the kicking uh, ability from Sato. And at the end, um, a hurt Sima just kind of like started looking for submission. I mean, not submission, it's a pins. So he started like trying out these different roll ups. He even hit the magistral. But at the end, um, I don't even know what it's called, but it's it's kind of like a back, like a it's kind of like a it's not a cool boy. No, no, no. Uh, it's really hard to 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 describe because both men are kind of in their shoulders with their legs up, uh, and that's how the pin goes. It's really weird. I I actually don't know the name of that pin, but it looked good. And this was really good. After the match, Sima challenged Koji Wamoto 
for a match. And I think that's going to be taking place on the May 16th show. That is actually going to be a, a big ish show. I don't know. I don't know if there's already a main event, but we do have uh, this match taking place and also the debut of the Saito brothers, the twins that just joined the All Japan Dojo, uh, June and Ray Saito. Uh, tall twins they're going to be debuting against Daisuke Sekimoto and Yasufumi Nakanoi and I I mean they're gonna get their asses kicked but these two kids look impressive uh, they're just huge they're like really traditionally handsome men and um, one of them I think it was Ray no I think it was June has a really fantastic boy like super derp and so I think they have like a really, really good presentation. The only bad thing is that they're legit twins and beyond being tag team champions forever, it tends to be harder for one of them to, or for the both of them to like establish themselves as singles wrestlers sometimes. So we'll see how they do. Um, I, I haven't seen them wrestle or anything uh, similar. Uh, so I don't really know if they can move. I mean, they're they're really tall, so by all means, maybe they're Kohei Sato, you know. But hopefully they're more Ishikawa than Sato. Anyway, back to the carnival. Uh, we had Seuss versus Jake Lee with Jake Lee defeating Seuss. And this was also a really, really good match. I The, the thing that I really liked about this match is that sometimes um, Jake Lee, when he is resting, even if he loses a match... It never really feels like uh, he's putting the effort into winning. Not in the sense that he's not like going for the moves or anything like that, but like sometimes his energy just uh, is is not there. And I think that's the main reason why a lot of people don't like Jake Lee because it does feel like he's just kind of like going through the motions and not really like putting effort into winning. But in this match, Seuss kind of like. I guess he was like, Seuss was like so, so not stiff, but like more impactful, like super like energetic that he made Jake Lee look like he was putting the effort to survive and then to make the like a comeback, I guess, and to defeat Seuss. Uh, so I really, really liked this pairing. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing Lee slightly desperate to to make a comeback and to turn the match around on Seuss and and at the end just win with a, a bunch of knees you know so it was really good I really enjoyed it I at the end I didn't even feel bad or didn't feel weird that Seuss had lost the match because he was like really dominant but at the same time once Jake Lee like kind of woke up he really really turned the match around and so I really enjoyed it and at the end, we have the main event of the night, Suwama versus Kento Miyahara, with Kento Miyahara winning, pinning Suwama with the shutdown German. And this was just like straight up fantastic. This is a match, and it's rare for this to happen, but this is a match where uh, you're watching and then they get to a certain point or sequence in the, in the match where you feel like this is the end. I think uh, they're... Like, this is where such and such needs to go for the finish and just end it here. But they didn't. They actually kept going. And I was like, oh, man, I, th I think they're they're going to overdo it. I think they're going to overdo it. They're going to pass their time. Uh, but no, they actually, the match actually improved. 
<laughs> in the extra time, quote unquote, that I was uh, thinking that they had already done, overdone it. Uh, because they, the way that it kind of happens that Tsuwama was really dominant early on, then Miyahara kind of made a comeback and he started going for the knees. He hurt uh, Suwama enough, but then Suwama, I, I wouldn't call it a comeback, but Suwama started to get like into the let's it's time to finish this mode. And that's when I thought the match was going to end when Suwama was ready to finish it. But then they kept going, they kept going until Miyahara made, I guess, his second comeback. And that's when he completely destroyed Suwama. He just knees from every corner, German, and then the shutdown German. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. Fantastic. Uh, I, this one I gave a four point, uh, four and a, and a quarter, or four even like maybe a half stars. I really, really love this match. This was easily, I guess, my favorite match of Suwama in a long time. And Kento Miyahara, I actually haven't seen many, many good matches of him uh, ever since he lost the title. And then I guess his match with Zeus last year. Uh, I just haven't, I, I felt that Miyahara kind of like doesn't always try to go all out when he's not the champion or main eventing. But this was top notch Miyahara. I loved this match. I love Miyahara. And so I was just like pleasant, pleasantly uh, happy with this uh, match and ending for sure. So I, straight up, I can tell you the 25th uh, of April show is so far my favorite champion carnival show of this year. Uh, this was like, even if you had shit like Kohei Sato and, and Ishikawa, like it was okay and then uh but like ashino otani was great sato versus shima was great Suze versus jake lee was great and suwama versus miyahara was great and even like to to like to sprinkle things there and, and here and there like uh the the total eclipse match didn't end with cheating and you know that that makes a difference <laughs> And so this was a really, really good show. If you haven't seen the Champion Carnival, you haven't been up to it, this is a show that I would totally recommend you go watch uh, if you just want to see, like, get a taste of the Champion Carnival and how it feels. There are a lot of non-Carnival matches, but they went by, I guess, fast-ish enough. And the the Shima versus Sato, it, you won't even care that it's not a Carnival match because it's just, like, really, really good wrestling. And so it is the end of the carnival matches. Uh, like I said, the next show, uh, night eight, takes place uh, tomorrow on the 28th. The current standings of the, the table are Jake Lee, Kento Miyahara, and Kohei Sato are tied with eight points. Yuma Aoyagi, Suwama, Suz, and Shotaro Ashino are tied with six points. Shihiro Otani and Shuji Shikawa have four points each, and Koji Doi has two points. Um, so yeah, uh, at this point, I think it's obvious that Koji Doi has been eliminated. I think mathematically, since he and Otani had the time limit, uh, well, it wasn't actually a time limit draw; it was a double countout. Neither guy gets a point, and so. He is with two points. He only has three matches left. 
And so the most he would be able to achieve was eight points. Uh, and in that case, he will lose the tiebreakers to Lee and to Miyahara. And uh, yeah, he hasn't fought Sato, but he would need to. No, he, he defeated Sato, actually. And so, uh, yeah, he's pretty much eliminated. Uh, left, he has Aoyagi, Ashino, and Suze. Um So, yeah, there's there's no chance for him to make it back. Watani and Ishikawa are pretty close to being eliminated. They're also, I think Ishikawa has, yeah, three matches and three matches each. Uh, but yeah, it would be also really hard. Uh, Otani has to fight Sato, Suwama, and Sus. So he would, I mean, he could, he would really need Miyahara, uh, Lee, and Sato to lose all their matches. And Ishikawa has Lee, Miyahara, and Suwama left, which are probably his three biggest or harder matches and again he would def he would need to defeat Miyahara Lee and hope that Suwama doesn't pick up any more matches but yeah like it's it's pretty improbable for for the last three to make it at this point I think anyone with six points still has a shot um but again it's also kind of hard like Kohei Sato has eight points but there's no way he wins right there's no way Sato wins I really hope there's no way Sato wins. But anyway, that's it for All Japan Pro Wrestling this uh, weekend. There wasn't much really in terms of um, Japanese stuff that we saw. There's still a, a lot of road to shows, a lot of building to uh, stuff. So we already really kept it to All Japan. And mostly because we had the big, big show from Impact Wrestling. That's Impact Wrestling Rebellion taking place also on the 25th. This was the show that was main evented by the history-making title versus title match, undisputed TNA and Impact World Champion Rich Swan versus the AW World Champion Kenny Omega. And yes, Kenny Omega, the best bat machine, defeated Rich Swan, and now he holds four championships. Only I don't know if uh, Impact is right now. Um, also, I guess they reinstated the TNA Championship, but I don't know if they're they if he's been added into the records. But either way, he is holding right now four championships: the AEW, the TNA, Impact, and AAA Championships. And well, let's start with that one. It was a fantastic, fantastic match. Um, obviously, I think at this point. Everyone has probably argued about like Rich Swan having two really big botches. Uh, one of them that looked really bad because he just kind of fell and then Omega went for the bump anyway, which in my opinion makes Omega look worse than Swan because Swan just Swan can sell that he's hurt, but Omega just tossing himself in the back like it's not. But it was a really, really good match. Um, this was. 100% a Kenny Omega paced match and I think that's what hurt Rich Swan. Uh Rich Swan obviously if you think of Rich Swan's career in the last maybe let's say 10 years. Uh his he's he was with PWG and doing evolve and that type of stuff. He then went to WWE where he just I mean he worked a WWE pace uh which is pretty I guess tame compared to Japan and compared to to current like AEW specifically or Kenny Omega specifically 
And then he's been in, in, in impact and then he got injured and has just been back for a couple of months. So I think it's understandable that Rich Swan actually got gassed out trying to keep up with Kenny Omega because Kenny Omega, while, while Rich Swan was being a geek in the Fed and joining Impact, Kenny Omega was being the best battle machine main event in Tokyo Domes, winning G1 Climaxes, wrestling at a New Japan pace, which is way longer matches, way quicker action, more story-driven. The the spots tend to be like sometimes way more impactful. And then he went to he went to AEW where he's he's I wouldn't say he's kept the same pace, but he's still keeping a really strong pace over there, especially since winning the championship or since he was a tag team uh, champion with Paige. And so I I don't know, like I saw it and I was like, yeah, I, I can understand that Rich Swan wasn't able to keep up with Kenny Omega. I mean, by all means, many, maybe there was something else going on with Swan. Maybe he just wasn't feeling that day. Maybe he got overwhelmed by the stress of having a really really good match with Kenny Omega uh I don't know like many things can happen and but at the end of the day he got those two botches I wouldn't I wouldn't say those botches hurt the match that much though um only the second one were, but because I I actually blame that one more on Omega just tossing himself he could have gone for something else and just pretend that Swan had uh fell because at that point, Swan was already like super, super um, supposed to be like injured and out. And so I think it would have been understandable. But uh, it was just a fantastic match. Uh, really, really fast paced back and forward. Uh, the story of the match was that Swan was actually able to get control of the match early on. Uh, the story coming in was that, um, that Swan could get the better of Omega in a one on one. Uh, but Swan had to wrestle pretty much like a perfect match. And unfortunately, it didn't happen because uh, there's a spot early on where Omega drops Swan on top of his head. And from there on, Swan was just injured. Uh, he had a target on literally on his head. Omega started working the neck and the head. And so it was just a matter of time before Kenny Omega took him out. Like Omega actually started with the B triggers really early. And what us like Swan was able to escape two I think it was two one winged angel attempts, but then at the end the third one, he was already done. There's a great spot where Omega pulls Rich Swan into the ropes right in front of Eddie Edwards, and uh, he hits the B trigger and and Swan's just like drooling. Mauro Ronaldo, who has probably never called a Rich Swan match, was like, "Oh my God, he's drooling." And so it just looked really strong. Uh, and at the end of uh, the match, uh, Rich Swan went for the Phoenix Splash and Omega Dodge. He got a trigger and he got the one week angel and he won. And where things go from here, uh, it's interesting to see. Uh, to me, like the, the interaction between Omega and Eddie Edwards tells me that is your either under siege main event or your slammiversary main event. It all depends on if they have 
someone planned for Slammiversary. The, the thing about this is that I don't think Impact should just toss everyone into Omega if they're not going to win. And so maybe I could do, maybe you, you can do like Omega versus Swan 2 at one point. Maybe you can do, uh, I don't know, like Trey Miguel or Callahan. No, nah, not Callahan, but yeah, like maybe like Trey Miguel or maybe Willie Mack. Like those type of guys, but save Eddie Edwards for a big match and and save whoever's going to win the title for a never bigger match. Uh, Moose, for instance, is one that I don't know where I would put him because I wouldn't want Moose to lose to Omega. In my opinion, the guys, the guy who who should take the title is Moose, but that should be like way down the line, maybe for Bound for Glory. Uh, if not, next year's hard to kill. It all depends on when Omega is losing the title. Uh, I actually wouldn't. I think Omega could lose the title at All Out against Adam Page. And that would allow AAA to change the title at, um, what's the, I think, Triple Mania. Yes, I'm, I'm trying to think of the calendar. Uh, but I guess Triple Mania could be a good time for, for Omega to lose the title on AAA. And in that case, it could be, I don't know, like a Penta. Uh, maybe they can get Andrade. And then that also allows uh for impact to regain their title after after all out for bound for glory for the november pay-per-view maybe and so i think there is opportunity to to do it there but for that case i think they should keep uh i think they can do it worse at slam anniversary and then do moose at bound for glory that's how i would do it unless again if they have uh another person that could probably keep up with Omega and, and do it strongly. So we'll, we'll see what their plans are, but, um, we'll, we can talk about, uh, Thursday's impact in a little bit. Uh, for, for the rest of the pay-per-view, we can all, go all the way back to the start. Uh, the show started with the X division three way championship match. Josh Alexander defeated Ace Austin and Matt, uh, with Matt and TJP. It was a fantastic opener. Um, coming into this match, I actually kind of felt that this trio, like, I wouldn't say they're the same as Daniels, Styles, and Joe, because they're not. But between what these four, three guys have been doing, plus Rohi, Raju, plus Chris Bay, it does kind of bring me back to those, like, pre-2010 days of the X Division, where it was Styles, Joe, Daniels, and then you have, like, a low-key Chris Saban and uh yeah kind of yeah like because lethal lethal came in kind of later but yeah Chris Saban uh Petey Williams like that mix of guys then they were just like whatever combination that you put them in they were gonna have like a fantastic fantastic match and that's what I kind of feel like they've been doing with this uh group of X Division wrestlers and so I was really hoping for this match to get a lot of time. It got enough time to get a, a good match out of it. Uh, I would wish more time, but I, I can't really complain. The match was really, really good. It was just like 
all action, like zero time. Like it didn't matter if it was like a, a three-way action or pair-ups. Like it was just action, action, action. It was fantastic. And Josh Alexander won with Divine Intervention on uh, Ace Austin. And so, which I think it's interesting because he has a win over TJP. And now he has a win over Ace Austin. And so he does kind of have claim over both guys. Uh, if it had been TJP, then Austin has always like a bunch of like arguments to, to get title matches and other things like that. At this point, he only has one argument left. And we'll talk about it later. Next up, we had Violent by Design defeating the team of Eddie Edwards, Willie Mack, James Storm, and Chris Saban. So the big news on this one was that Eric Young injured himself <clears throat> in the match with Eddie Edwards from the past week, uh, the past week's uh, Impact show. And so he has he had a replacement for this match, and that replacement was W. Morrissey, formerly known as Big Cass from the Fed, or uh, I, don't, I don't remember what his uh, Cass Excel, I think it was his, his indie name. And I mean, let me tell you, he looked fantastic. He's in fantastic shape. Um, and he was booked as a huge monster. Like, I I think they're going to do with him what they what I've been wanting them to do with Joe Doring. But I think at this point, Joe Doring may, may be like injured or just hurting uh, because of life. And that's why he doesn't get the push that I wish he would. Or maybe they just know that Joe Doring is on borrowed time with Impact. Because as soon as he can go back to the to Japan, he's going to go back to Japan. But um, I don't know. Like, Morrissey looked really good. Uh, so it was Doring, Diener, Rhino, and Morrissey. And and it was just good. Like, uh, the, the match wasn't... There wasn't much to the match. It was like eight guys... So it was like super chaotic. Uh, but the point of the whole match was get Morrissey over as a monster. And I think they did it. The finish actually saw Morrissey block a stunner from Mac and hit the East River crossing for the win. And, you know, he, blocking a stunner is no like, like it's no easy feat, especially from a Willie Mac who's a big guy. So it was really, really good. Next up, we have Brian Myers defeat Matt Cardona. I This was the weakest match of the show, in my opinion. Uh, Matt Cardona, I just do not find the guy good at all. Like, there's guys that leave the Fed, and then they show that they, ac they can actually go and have fantastic matches and anything. Matt Cardona is not one of those. He is just your generic... WWE wrestler, nothing impressive, nothing. Brian Myers, in my opinion, looked way better than Cardona did. And that's a Myers that wasn't really doing much. He was like doing the hit and run approach to, to a match, a heel match. Uh, but yeah, and then they had like a really shitty finish. Uh, what they did is that they did like a, a worked injury where Cardona... He's going for radio silence. He gets tossed over Myers. As he falls, he twists his leg. And then so the referee goes for the X. And they stop the match. They're checking on Cardona. Myers picks him up, hits uh, the roster cut twice, and gets the win. 
in my opinion, like the referee just looked like an idiot because if he called the match, why is he letting the match continue? And why is he going for the pin if the if he had already called for the X? That should be like an an, uh, an official, uh, just no contest. But no, the ref was an idiot. And so yeah, like this was like complete. I didn't like this. I I actually blame Myers and Cardona more than Impact for this match. It just kind of felt like they're coming with their WWE mentality and they have a WWE match. And it was really disappointing because Myers has been pretty good uh, like in the last months. His feud with Eddie Edwards was considerably better. They never got the time to do like a full great match, but it was still better than this. So, yeah, this was the weakest thing of the show. Uh, next up, we had the Knockouts Tag Team Championship match. Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering defeated Fire and Flava, Kira Hogan and Tasha Steeles for the championships. This was, it was okay. Um, so, I guess arguably it was as bad as the previous match, but I hated the previous match because of the finish, and this one actually didn't hate anything. It was just like, it was an okay match. Didn't get much time, actually. Um, the story here was really similar to most of Fire and Flavors matches where they are the smaller uh, wrestlers in the match. But because they have way better chemistry as a team, they tend to do better and they tend to look credible when they cut off someone that's bigger than them. And in this case, uh, they did. And it was good. Uh, I think... Grace looked fantastic. Rachel Ellering, um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a matter of she needs to get more accustomed to working in the Impact Ring and and with this wrestlers. But she looked okay. Uh, but I just wasn't like super impressed. But she looked okay. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's her first match in Impact, and she's already winning a championship. I think that's going to be a really really good and promising career or direction i guess for her to to join impact and i think she's going to be a, a good addition to impact um did she's i think she has the size to have like good matches with pretty much anyone in the roster uh there are not many girls or women in the roster that would like clash in terms of like size mostly because she's a baby face and so I think that's going to benefit her and the promotion. And at the end, she won with a, like a sit-down spine buster. It kind of looked also like a suplex sky high. I don't know what it was, but it was um, it was a win. <laughs> and that was it. So, yeah, the, the dream is over. Uh, Steels and, 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 ha- and Hogan have lost the titles, but maybe, there's, maybe they can win it again one day. Uh, we had the last man standing match with Trey Miguel and Sammy Callahan. I, I can start this by saying I hate last man standing matches. I think they're stupid. The, like, in a non kayfabe argument, I think they're stupid to book because it's a match that the for in order to get the climax of the match means that you have to stop the match and count to ten. And so you're constantly killing your momentum over and over and over and over and over again. And so by like it's they tend to start really strong because there's no counting. But once they start counting, it's like spot and then wait for nine seconds. Spot, wait for another nine seconds. 
And so they tend to be really annoying. I don't like them. This match was kind of like that, but they actually, they, they started really strong. Um, so by the time the match starts to slow down, it, it felt more natural and they didn't do like the match didn't go super long. And so they didn't do like an infinite amount of like counting to nines. They, I think they only had like two or three really like strong, um, teases and the good thing that they did is that when they were doing these teases they were not just like sammy callahan like stands there waiting for the count like, like when he was when trey mcgill was being counted you always saw callahan either do something set up a, a next spot go for weapons like the the, the finish the actual finish saw callahan put Trey Miguel under the, the steps, the steel steps, and then sit on them. And so we're, while, while we're counting, we're just focused on Sammy Callahan and he's like making faces, he's laughing, ha ha ha. And so we're thinking about Callahan, we're not counting. And so those type of things like helped uh, the match a lot. And at the end it was uh, that spot and then Trey Miguel actually is out. He hit a cutter on the table and won the match so i don't know like for a last minute standing match i thought this was pretty decent I, I it's hard to say that it was my favorite because i've seen like really really crazy impressive last man standing matches in this promotion and other promotions you know where they do like falling from the titan tron or, or i don't know like stuff like that but uh this was pretty decent it i think it i had really low expectations for this match actually and it actually, it actually surpassed my expectations. There was also like no, no blood, no thumbtacks, not, none of that shit, which is, which tends to be like more meh. Uh, like I've said before in this show, I'm not a fan of weapons match, especially when there's no fans. And so like the weapons used here made more sense for the purpose of the match. They were just things around the ring that I am using to hurt you. And I think that was way better than like bringing the trash can out. So kudos to this match. I gave it like a 3.5 um, stars. So I don't know. I think that was as good as it was going to get. Next up, we had uh, Finn Juice defending the championships against the group brothers. They actually managed to retain the championships. I was one of those people that thought that this was the end of Finn Juice, that they were just going to put the titles back on the good brothers. But no, they... They're actually going to let Finn Juice keep the titles, which I think it makes total sense. Um, I I can see like right now Impact does want to keep New Japan and AW close to them, especially because I think they have bigger hopes for the plans for Slammiversary. I think in Slammiversary, they want to have New Japan people and AW people involved, maybe Noah people involved. And, and so I think that Impact is really trying to, to keep people around so that by July that we have Slammiversary, they can claim to have people from four or five different promotions. And I think it's doable. Um, obviously, the trick right now is to fly people in to the US 
But if they can get like Finchus, that's New Japan. If they can get uh, Marafuji, who tends to come to Impact a lot for for anniversary, that's a get. Like Ishimori, for instance, is is someone who has done a lot of Impact. Uh, obviously, Kenny Omega is going to be at anniversary. Maybe they can bring someone else from to anniversary. I don't know. I think there's the the potential, you know. Um, uh, there's always the New Japan Dojo. Uh, they can get people from New Japan, the New Japan Dojo. They can get like Ren Arita. They can. I don't know where Chota Omino is. I think he's already in Japan, but uh, they can get Narita. They can get uh, uh, Tom Lawler, who's a champion right now in New Japan, strong. Those guys, you know. And so, I think Impact's gonna. I think that's the reason why they kept the titles on Finjus and why. Uh, because you know, there's, there's, I think there's plans to make Slammiversary a really big deal, and so we'll see what to do. The match itself was actually, it was really, really good. It was a, a perfectly fine wrestle match, but it was also kind of like a match that we kind of seen many times. It's the usual like, the Finjus starts strong, and then one of them gets cut off, and then they work on him, and then the comeback, and then. A lot of things happen at the end. Um, the the good guys win, and what happened here is that the good brothers went for the magic killer on Juice. Finley made the save, took out uh, Anderson, and then Juice kind of used the momentum to bring down Gallows and got and got him with a pin, or a small package. Again, it was a perfectly fine match, but it was also just kind of like your generic, basic tatty match layout. So. I don't know, like, good stuff. Just nothing really new or out of the ordinary. And the last match that we have to talk about from this pay-per-view was the Knockouts Championship match. The Virtuosa, Diona Parasso, defeated Tenille Dashwood to retain the championship. I like this match a lot. Um, this was a match that had, like, no story coming in. And, and I think that... I wouldn't say that hurt the match, but we didn't go into we didn't go into a match thinking of Cam Parasso like like I don't know like work Dashwood in a way differently or can Dashwood counter the Venus of Milo nothing like that we just knew that Parasso is a technical wrestler we know that Dashwood tends to cheat and then she can also be a technical when she needs to but that was it and so. In that sense, it was hard and hard just coming to a match with like really no back end uh, or like backstory to it. But I don't know, like the match did start kind of sloppy, but I think once they got into a pace and they got accustomed to each other, it, it did get better. Um, I think it was just a matter of like finding each other's space at the, at the same time because Barrasso, I think it tends to be slower than Dashwood. I think Dashwood tends to be faster uh, in just like the basic stuff, and yeah, like um, the the ending sequence sequence was okay. Uh, Dashwood had the Muda lock in, but then Susan and Kimberly distracted the referee. Uh, Caleb got taken out, but then Dashwood hit the spotlight and was going to get the win, but then Kimberly and, and pull her out she took them out and Dashwood just kind of got in the ring and got the Fujiwara armbar and then the Queen's Gambit and that was it it was really convoluted I would have just 
liked for Dashwood to, I don't know, like honestly hit the spotlight, kick out, and then Peraza can come back with the Queen's Gambit. That's perfectly okay. I don't think they're they're saving Dashwood for anything or anything special, uh, especially because of the post match where Taylor Wilde made her return. Uh, and so I think the direction, at least for Under Siege, is probably going to be Taylor Wilde versus Diana Parasso. I at this point I have no idea what the direction for Slammer versus would be, but um, I guess if we're talking about directions, uh, we can we can kind of close this this show out. It was a really good show. I thought it was good. Um, this was a show that really like it benefited from not having your random matches to get people in the card like in previous shows we tend to see like uh you know decay versus triple xl added at the openers stuff like that uh like the exhibition match for instance only had the people involved it didn't just magically become a six-way match out of nowhere and so i think that really really helped this show because every match had a story and every match had a purpose and every match is going to have repercussions coming from them and those repercussions are the things that i think i want to talk about forecast so talking about the repercussions of impact rebellion let's talk about the fallout episode of impact this thursday the 29th of april there's only two matches announced of this uh like at this point it's uh taylor wilde versus kimberly josh alexander versus ace austin for the x division championship so we have the rematch clause being called in uh which actually doing it so early tends to be because they don't plan to have austin uh do maybe a lot of matches for the x division in a while since they want to get him out quickly and the only thing other than that is W. Morrissey's debut on Impact, which I'm guessing it's in-ring debut, uh, what they mean, <laughs> not just like being there. But that's the only things that have been announced. Obviously, being uh, a fallout show of a big pay-per-view, they tend to not have things presented or, or planned out before the last episode of Impact. So this is what we get coming out of the pay-per-view. Uh, so the things that I do want to see, uh, that I'm interested to pay attention on is what's going to be the result of Swan losing the championship. In my opinion, I think they have like in their hands, a good story of redemption because everyone had their hopes on, on Swan and then he lost, he lost the championship. So there's no championship in, in impact right now. And so I think there there's a redemption story there uh maybe not win the title back but you know getting the the good side of half of your promotion uh with you and and obviously like the first thing that i'm thinking about is, is uh moose you know moose threatened rich swan that if he lost the championships he had to deal with moose and so maybe we're gonna get to see moose versus swan because moose is going to come after swan um, I I don't know if Kenny Omega is going to be there. I think Kenny Omega is going to be there for the big maybe celebration. 
And so we'll see if someone jumps in. Uh, we have Under Siege happening in May. I think it's May, yeah. And so we, we have Under Siege in May. We have Against All Odds in June. And then we have Slam Reversity in July. And so I think we may start, we may see who the challenger for Under Siege is. Either Eddie Edwards or Willie Mack or Rich Swan. I don't know who's going to be, but uh, we need to see who that is. So maybe that happens on Thursday. Uh, we Without Finn Juice, or I, I guess maybe Finn Juice is going to be there for this show. But if if they're going back to, to New Japan for the Grand Slam shows, uh, I guess we need to see what's going to be the direction for the tag division. Because... I think we need to find challengers for maybe under siege or against a lot. And once we find those challengers, what are they going to be doing? Like obviously the, the good brothers at this point, I can't imagine they challenge again unless they want to do like a, a ladder match or something like that. But even so, like the challenge needs to be made. And so we'll, we need to see what happens with the good brothers and to see what happens with Finjus. And uh, given that we're going to get Taylor Wilde versus Kimberly, I think it's pretty obvious that is the direction. I don't think when it comes to knockouts, we really need to worry about it. I wouldn't be surprised if we get Jordan Grace and Ellering versus Kieran Hogan again. Um, so those in those areas, I am not really worried. Uh, but yeah, that is Impact for Thursday, the 29th, the fallout of rebellion and that is going to be it for this week of wrpx um it i guess it was like a light week in terms of things that we covered um the old japan the champion carnival tends to go pretty quickly and rebellion was really just one show but uh, it was a good show but yeah that's it for this week remember to go to spotify and itunes to find the, the podcast wrpxpodcast.com uh, go to DWrestlingRevolution.com if you want to find the written versions of all the top, the shows that we talked about this show and every other show that we do. And you can go to on Twitter to DWRevolution where you can find me. You can also find us on Instagram as WRPX Podcast. And I think that is it for socials. Uh, you can always also go to uh, Figure4W Online where you can find the live coverage that I do for Impact as I did for Rebellion and, and as I will be doing it for this Thursday's Impact. And oh yeah, and while we're at it, yes, every th Friday night at 7 Mountain Time, we are live on Twitch watching 80s and 90s uh, wrestling from Japan. Last week, we made a, a short, small change to, to take a break from All Japan Women and we started watching the Bridge of Dreams show from 1995 Tokyo Dome show where all promotions in Japan got together for a show. We got to got we got to watch two matches because they actually went slightly longer than I expected. But we're probably going to be watching some Bridge of Dreams and uh All Japan Women's like here and there. But yeah, join us and I mean we we had like a really nice conversation uh, last week where we got to the conclusion that Abaddon from AW should go to Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling and DDT, I think she would be 
perfectly fit over there. But yes, that is it. Uh, thank you for, for joining us this week. And we will see you the next week. So, adios. Well, that's about it. Son of a gun, we've enjoyed it. Looking forward to next week. I guess we'll have to wait a week before we get to it. But we'll be right back again. For Corey Macklin, Dave Brown, Lance Russell saying bye-bye, everybody.